You don't sound autistic. Well, uh, what does an autistic person Wait. sound like? You're autistic? Yeah, I'm telling you that. You don't even look autistic. But, but we're talking about... Yeah, but, but I don't buy it. But I, I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD and anxiety and depression. You don't sound autistic. Welcome back to another other episode of You Don't Sound Autistic. I'm Blake. And I'm Rochelle. And this is a part two episode. Yes. Um, oh, sorry. And I'm autistic. And I'm not. Is that right? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, we're doing this uh, again. Last time was last night. And now we're doing it tonight. So there you go. Um, Rochelle decided that uh, we hadn't expanded enough upon whatever the hell it was we talked about last time <laughs> and wanted to express those lips again. It's it, You came up with this really great title for the episode. and Big penises are the future of multimedia universes. Okay. Why has it got to be a penis? Okay. I don't want to go into that. Anyways. That was a joke. The point is that oftentimes... The uh, tip. Sure, I was joking. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Okay. Anyway, just go ahead. Okay, so the... 45 minutes of Rochelle talking and one minute of me going, huh? <laughs> that should be the next uh, episode Thank title. you for the compliment. No, you. the title of the episode was The Autism Dilemma, Hiding in Plain Sight. And oh, is that what we called it? Uh-huh. And so okay. this is part two because we talked a lot about that in different scenarios, but I'm I'm not confident that we addressed it really directly. And and why I mean this was one of your titles, so when you talk about the autism dilemma, what does that mean to you? It's interesting you say that. I think it sounds like a really good title for people to look for. Okay. And, uh, but we've had conversations where I know this has meaning to you. Yeah. It takes me a minute sometimes to get going. Okay. Well, why? Speaking of minutes. Yeah. I'm afraid to do this. No, I'll wait. It's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. Keep your thought. No, I was going to say, I made homemade hummus. (laughs) (laughs) Well, remember, this is the small talk section is always in the beginning. Right. So this is an appropriate time. So you made, you made homemade hummus. I made homemade hummus. Okay. Would you like to try it? I would. Have you ever made hummus before? No. This is my first time. This is exciting. What recipe did you use? I have a Mediterranean cookbook recipe. I'm trying to lose weight, as everyone knows. 80 pounds by June, which right now we're in trouble. It's about two weeks away. Okay. Michelle has brought out some cute little shot glasses with... Uh, pretzels in them. <laughs> so, Rochelle, okay. did you care to try? So this is a hummus, and I smell garlic. It's a gar. It's a gar. It's a garlic hummus. Okay, it smells really. Yeah, good. we'll see. We'll see. Nah, and to say I like garlic, so we'll see what it. We'll see if it's any good. Okay, so these are crunchy because it's gluten-free pretzels. Ooh, I like that. Not bad. Mm-mm. No, that's got a nice like. The texture of it reminds me of like Borat's head. Um, Who's Borat? Oh, Bor- that's a nice. No, no, Borat's head. Um, oh, Borat's hummus. Head. So like it's got a great. They have co- their own hummus. Oh yeah, and they even have chocolate hummus, and it's really good. Oh, that's too much for me. No, no, it's good. 
I can't um, do chickpeas and chocolate. You'd be surprised with some strawberry. Oh, I've tried it. I don't like it. Mm. Me no likey. This is good. It's not overpoweringly garlic. It's like just It enough. has two cloves, like not two cloves, two full heads of garlic are in there. Wow. Yeah. It's good. Well, because roasted garlic always tastes, and then there's some apple. I roasted the garlic myself. I know it, it tastes good, and then there's and some that was like a fun. That was through. a uh, well. You say that because you just assume I put spice in there. No, I'm telling you what's hitting my palate. There's three little peppercorns in there. Oh, that's all it would take for me. You know, I'm a yeah, I'm a big, big wuss. A when big it comes. weenie. Yeah. No, but there's also like a handful. It says to do a pinch. I did less than a pinch. What's that? An inch? Get it? Mm-hmm. Um, I did a an inch of. Cayenne pepper. It tastes good. It's a good balance. And then it, it has like the olive oil and mm, anyway. Good. I love to cook. I would love to cook for you people. Ooh, when I say you people, that sounds dirty. <laughs> um, I would eat that whole thing. Well, go for it. I made it for you. Well, I will, but I'm crunchy right now. So. All right. Well, don't be crunchy. I got saying. nothing. I got. I, I'm. I. This is a surprise to me. I, I didn't know we were going to be doing an episode tonight. And then Rochelle was like, let's do an episode. I was like, all right, let's do this. Well, it's a surprise to me, too. I didn't know you'd be making hummus. No. Sounds like a win-win. Hummus, sweet hummus. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I will enjoy the rest of this afterwards. Um, but, you know, sound sensitivities and all. Crunching is not the easiest sound to listen no, to. No, probably not. What the hell was I listening to something earlier? And it was driving me nuts. And I wanted to share with everybody. Well, welcome to You Don't Sound Autistic because that's it, the way that my brain works. Because the way that my brain is work is, is not always functionalis. That's fair point. Well, hopefully uh, it comes back to you sometime and you can... I probably won't, Tis. Okay. Anyway, continuous. Okay, so the autism dilemma. Yes. Hiding in plain sight. Correctus. Okay, so... Is it that it, what what creates the dilemma? Is it that you're you're unrecognized, and that's why you're hiding in plain sight, or is it hiding in plain sight because most people don't? I think the main idea is there is that. Sorry to cut you off. No, please. As you so often do. <laughs> <laughs> it's late, folks. I know. Right? <laughs> it's eleven o'clock at night. What are you gonna do? Um, the what was your question? The essence of hiding in plain sight. Oh, yeah. Because we're not hiding on purpose. I think for, I mean, so many people that, that I'm hoping will find this podcast would be some, would be people that were like myself that are late diagnosed, maybe underdiagnosed, maybe not diagnosed whatsoever, and just thinking like, what the hell? This relate I relate to this so much, and this is something that what was I saying? Yeah, you're talking about late diagnosis. You're not hiding on purpose, right? See, I have a hard time sometimes, folks. Um, but the basic idea there being that you're you're living your entire life without. Knowing this little, this this little, what you know, some might say is a little bit of information, but could be a big chunk right. of information. 
It's like yeah. the Morse code decoder for a massive amount of life. Yeah. Whatever that means. Fair point. I'm just saying that you could be going your entire life without knowing this chunk of information about right. yourself. Absolutely. And you're masking and you're really like coding and decoding the entire world around you to suit your own needs and and to suit the needs of those around you because you don't just think about yourself. You think about those around you. And that's very tiring. <laughs> it is tiring. How um, often... So what you just said was very interesting. So um, you're spending... Because you only have so much energy in a day, right? You only have so much physical, mental, emotional energy in a day. How much of that energy are you spending thinking about yourself versus everyone else? I think most of the time I'm thinking, like if I'm at a work situation, because that's where I spend the lion's share of my time, the next step in my day is to think about Declan. Okay. So when you're at work, are you thinking more about other people or more about yourself? Other people. Is it like 80-20 or is it like 60-40? Probably 80-20. Not in your favor. Not in my favor. Okay, so that's a huge imbalance. Okay. And then you come home and um, then you either have Declan at night or you don't. So on a Declan night, what's the percentage there? (laughs) 95-5. Oh, so it gets worse. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He's way more important to me than I am to me. Okay. I mean, spoken like a true parent, that's what we do. Um, Just because I need to, you know, keep myself alive long enough to, <laughs> like, not make... Sh- I don't ever want... You know, the worst case scenario in my brain is something happens to me and you show up and are like, wow, Blake was really irresponsible. <laughs> what do you mean something happens to you? I die of some kind of horrible illness of some kind. I don't know. Okay. And my first reaction is that you're irresponsible? Yeah. No. Okay, that fantasy doesn't no, work right. Uh, my first reaction you. would be very, very different from that. I'd be screaming and yelling for help and trying to figure out what the hell's going Blake on. Blake was so irresponsible, everyone. Oh, my gosh. That is so not accurate. That's uh no. That's that's an incorrect assumption. Um, But no. that, that probably leads to some buried alive feelings of either abandonment or not feeling important or constantly feeling like what you're doing isn't good enough and valued. Do you ever feel like your efforts are not good enough and or valued? I often feel like my efforts are not good enough and or valued. Okay. So then in this scenario where something drastically horrible happens and and both mine and Declan's life is ripped to shreds, you're still projecting. See, you're thinking about you. But but if you're gone, then I, then that's, I, (laughs) of course. I'm thinking about Declan. I'm thinking about Declan too. But I'm thinking about him first. Oh, okay. Well, you, in this scenario, you had me showing up and playing a role. That was in the hopes that you would show up. I would show up. But but I would not be playing this role of blaming you and saying how irresponsible you are. That's the part you're projecting based on the fact that you don't feel valued and I have these crazy nightmares sometimes. Yeah. 
and Declan, because you know we're co-sleeping, right? And so he will be asleep, and usually what happens is I wake up from a terrible nightmare, and I have feet up my ass. Yeah, most of them are Declan's, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like happy as a pig in shit. So I have to unbend his feet from up my ass and like move them to the other side of the bed. Yes. And scooch him away. Yeah, he has a And feet. he's like Then he'll turn like as I'm pushing him away, he turns like I push him and he turns toward me uh-huh. and then like envelops me again. Yep. And so then I'm on my back and I'm like, "All right, I guess I'm sleeping on my back." Cuz like <laughs> I just love him so much like I don't want to undermine his experience right that because god knows what he's dreaming about right you know? he has some pretty intense dreams uh because i'll see him dreaming some pretty intense dreams and then i wake up and i'm i'm awake to you know it's like isn't it the weird the dreams are really weird because you'll you'll be there's it's it's one of those phenomenons mm-hmm. because you'll be dreaming about your alarm going off and it's that exact sound or you're dreaming about the noise of your upstairs neighbor stomping on the ground and it's somehow it's like stranger things or something where it's like nine episodes into your dream the neighbor stomps on the ground and then you wake up to your neighbor stomping on the ground at that exact moment. Yeah, it's a re- it's a really weird subconscious blend of you know things that about? are that are actually happening in daily life. But it happens at that exact moment where there's no way that like are our dreams happening in in one second, and I, it just fast forwards. They can go to, very fast to that point. They can it's, anyway. I know that. No, it's a blend of things that you are familiar with, right? Because our minds do loop information. Our minds do replay events. I mean, it's data at that point. According to the brain, it's data. The experiences we have, the things we see, the sounds we hear, the feelings we have. It's all data points. The brain can access any of it. And at the moment that the stomping sounds, you know, your brain is still awake and perceiving its surroundings even if you're asleep and in your subconscious so then it 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 does it can create the data points to filter that right into your dreams but the funny thing about our dreams is how much of it is also a construct of what we imagine and not necessarily what we what we actually experience and so you know the blend of those two things can get crazy but yeah I've had moments where I wake up to different things that are actually happening in my dream and and then happening around happening around me and then the question is always like how long has that banging been going on how long did I sleep through it before my brain figured out how to wake me up? Because it doesn't necessarily mean the... I mean, you were asleep, so the pounding from your upstairs neighbor could have been going on for 30 seconds or so, long enough for your brain to start computing it into your dreams. That's not the way I like to think of it. I like to think of the fact that it happened at that exact moment okay. and that my brain is smart enough to catch it. Maybe uh, Nine seasons earlier. <laughs> that noise is just being caught up to and then i'm like whoa this all makes sense now maybe it maybe happens it, faster i don't know maybe it does i don't know i haven't studied dreams to that yeah i'm not trying yet. to this isn't a dream no but when you do talk uh, about episode but still so we're talking about hiding in plain sight i mean yes. dreams are an applicable aspect of that but hiding in plain sight your point is that we you do it accidentally because for so long in your life 
you didn't know that you had additional information to include in your self-identity and how you constructed your behavior and your routines and how you learned to think about yourself and how you learned to feel about yourself. You didn't know that you were working with a different owner's manual than those around you. So the all the advice... And not just that, but that I'm intertwining myself in between these other people that also may have a different owner's manual. And don't so when I it. meet yeah. the other weirdos in my life okay, who have no idea what they're dealing with. That's fair. That's no, a, but then th- that's true. That's I mean, true. I, I absolutely. think that like I, you meet other people and then all of a sudden you're 30 something and you go, oh shit. Or, or 40 or 50 or this 60 person, or 70. This person, I'm talking about me though. I'm just saying I'm selfish. And, and, but yeah, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100, whatever. Let's throw in the 90 year olds even. Um, you are experiencing something your entire life that in your experience, no one else is because here's the thing. You're masking. Yep. You're experiencing other people masking around you. Right. And then there's other people who don't even know what that is and they're doing whatever the neurotypical quote unquote people are doing. Oh, but there's another group because there's another group that are also experiencing the French. No, they're experiencing. uh, How do I say this? Like there's another group of people that aren't. (sighs) Okay. So you can be in a state of crisis to where the world feels like it's falling apart. You don't have the energy to mask and it just feels like everything is a fight. I mean, you've known, we've known people um, and, and we know segments in our own life where you just feel like somehow you've reached the end of your capacity and you just feel like you're battling everyone. And, and at that point you don't have the energy to mask. You're just constantly like frustrated and, and it just seems like everything pisses you off. And so now you're just more in a state of frenzy and you don't even have room for the mask and just it seems like every interaction is just a confrontation that is another group where that you know the the challenges of living with neurodiversity and not knowing about it then you are perceived as whatever you go to to try and downregulate yourself so let's say it's alcohol oh he's just an angry alcoholic okay that's not true may not be true that may be what you someone can label you as at the moment. It's a very surface thing. Now, there's neurodiversity right there hiding behind uh, coping mechanisms that society tells us are totally legit. And at the same time, they get you nowhere except labeled an angry alcoholic that nobody wants to help. So it's even it's it's even worse sometimes. And, and I'm just, just pulling one off the top of my head. But But you can use any kind of coping mechanism and then be labeled as the coping mechanism and it will once again hide your neurodiversity and any of those combinations of diagnosis that may be kind of combined together it when there's a combination of coping mechanisms being deployed on a regular basis there is some sort of unknown information that is creating the suffering and that that person is just literally out of resources and out of ways to turn and is at the peak of, you know, emotional, I don't want to say, if, probably dysfunction, but, you know, 
just lack of resources or understanding or ways to get it. And you're just trying to survive. I mean, it's like the peak of survival almost. And um, there's no mirroring, you know, there's no masking. There's usually no apologizing for the behavior. And then it starts to create divisions that way too. So totally mislabeled, unsupported. Yeah. Hiding in plain sight. Hiding in plain sight. I'm so smart. <laughs> well, and I think the so. If only I could write things down the way that you write things down, Rochelle. Somehow in your brain, you have a script. I do not have the ability to do that. I need an actual script. Right. So it, I'm, envi- I'm, en- I'm envious. Thank you. Oh, and your sister's saying there's a lunar eclipse tonight. There is. She's very excited about it. She should be. It's a good one. <laughs> All right. Should we stop the episode and go look at that? Uh, no, we can look at it afterwards. Oh, okay. Declan and I looked at it before he went to bed. Oh, well, that must be nice. We look at all the full moon. No one invited me. Sorry. I don't think you'd want to go look at the moon. You kidding me? I love a good butt cheek. <laughs> okay. The moon. Um, so there's another way that you can continue to hide in plain sight even after a diagnosis. What's that? And I, I watch you do this on a regular basis, and um, I think one of I think many of our uh, tribe have spoken about this in various ways on the Facebook <laughs> group, and and sh- <laughs> shit, sorry, bless you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, the sun is not out, but I, apparently the moon has gotten me. Whoa, <laughs> very sneezy. <laughs> very. You okay? Uh, nope, not good. I'm I'm gonna keep sneezing. Should we pause? Nope. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. Hold on, shit. All right, let's pause. Just not all over my book. <laughs> ah. I covered I covered my mouth with my hand. Okay. That's fine. I write in that every day. Sorry, folks. Um, you good? I don't know. I got a tickle in my... Oh, boy. <sighs> nope. I didn't. Ah, I almost got you there, didn't I? I almost got me. <laughs> the full moon is in Scorpio, and you are a Scorpio, my friend. So it's just mm. got you all twitchy. Sorry, folks. I'm very sorry. Um, it's okay. It's okay. We're we're so deep into the episode already. I'm no, afraid that we're not going to say that what we're not. Um, too much small talk? Is that the problem? <laughs> no. Okay, good. Okay, so... I was thinking about this earlier today, and the reason why I I asked if you were open to doing a part two is because I wanted to ask you those questions and get a a stronger, more clarifying understanding of what you meant by hiding in plain sight, because um, I also believe that you can remain hiding in plain sight even after a diagnosis, and this is a little less um, accidental. Okay. My... Main, so one of the, what's the word I would look for? Like if you were calling a movie, yeah, okay, so this is random, but Star Trek. Okay. All right. I'm not a big Star Trek fan, but Star Trek. Um, there's, there's a movie called Star Trek Into Darkness. Into Darkness? Yeah. Into, okay. Into Darkness. And so you have the title, which is Star Trek, and then you have like the, secondary title which i'm just going to call it that into darkness and then in my so which would be like instead of star trek you call it the autism dilemma Mm -hmm. hiding in plain sight 
Would be the into darkness thing. Right. right. And then below that is nothing to be ashamed of is was my kind okay. of quote to myself. Kind of the as a note. The movie pitch kind of. Yeah. Nothing to be ashamed of. I, I, I would totally agree with that. To and, be and ashamed of autism. Right. Which we talked about in the last episode, but this is a part two, so I guess it's okay for it to be a continuation. Yeah. And, and I think that that's fair to say for both being ashamed of your own autism and also being ashamed of your children's autism. Or if you go in the other way, you know, as many families do, shamed of your parents' autism or your... It's interesting you say that because as someone that is autistic, who has an autistic son, mm-hmm. which you probably can't identify with. No. I'm not ashamed of my son at all. I'm proud of you for that. I'm good. Why, why proud? No, I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that. I've never thought you were. And the reason has nothing to do with me knowing that I have a diagnosis. It's more because I know him. Okay. So you can see the autism and the personality and know that they co-mingle in a very beautiful way and neither one of them hold each other back and it it's really just part of who he is. Well, maybe because we don't have any other children. Maybe that's why and maybe because I've never been another autistic person before. Okay, fair point. But I think of myself growing up and I think of him growing up and I can only think, well, good for him having the ability to know these things about himself. Right. And he doesn't quite yet. No, he doesn't. But he's getting assistance in a way that I never did. And part of the change we made when we changed his school was because we recognized the environment he was in. And and I want to go back because I know in a previous episode I was very upset and I took it out. But... The, the the mainstream daycare that he was in took excellent care of him. Uh, you know, they, they did many things very, very well. It's just that when it came to the point of whether or not his needs were being met in a predict... How do I say this? So Declan lacks... And this is common with autism. So um, autism often creates... Tread lightly. <laughs> What? I'm just saying, tread lightly. You don't think I do that every day? Yes, of course you do. You I'm know how difficult it is to be here I and, just, and, oh and want so badly to advocate for a group I don't belong in because I love so much about? Mm-hmm. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I won't say anything. Please continue. How well do you believe that you advocate for your needs? How well do you believe you know your needs? Let's start there. How well do you know your needs? And I don't mean just like, I'm hungry, I'm tired. I know my needs very well. Do you know your social needs? Yes. Do you know your emotional needs? Yes. How well are you at expressing them? Terrible. Okay. That's the point I'm making. And it, it, do, it doesn't matter what age, right? We know that even though we're seeing signs of this at a th- at a th- from a three-year-old, we know that this is a constant challenge because that part of the brain is just focused on other parts of development and that is okay. But we saw a, we saw in Declan where his 
emotional developmental delay combined with his in a, or his um del, what do you call it like dill hole no his um developmental delay when it comes to being able to express what his needs are those two things combined so uh, sometimes it's called expressive language but you know the ability to express your needs but his but but his expressive language is actually really good it's more about like being able to identify what his needs are and express them in a way that negotiates so he can turn does he have the ability to turn a compliance request into a cooperation request because in the meantime he can express what his needs are and then meet the person making the request in the middle he's three that's a complex thing to do at three we don't necessarily expect him to do that. However, a, a neurotypical three-year-old would just go get what he wants. Our child shut down. And our child was, was repeatedly the perfect child syndrome expression of, you know, a perfect kid in daycare. And so <clears throat> I found it really interesting that this is what you wanted to call the episode last night. Because I tried telling you this earlier, but of course Declan cut me off. But blame the three year old. I'm not. I'm giving credit where it was due. And you'll remember this as I start that I started to tell you that I got a call from his coach. Mm. Remember? You did. Okay. So Declan was enrolled in play ball at his school and it, at his daycare. And it was a blessing. We loved it. It was amazing. I was really. Um, not everyone's going to know what play ball is. We have people listening from all around the I, world. I'm getting there. But I didn't know what play ball was. It's basically just a preschooler's sports program that teaches the fundamentals of a variety of different sports to these kids like the you know how the equipment works how do you hold it how do you you know hit the ball or the hockey stick or whatever hockey puck with the stick they go through dribbling and Rochelle's a big sports fan <laughs> I you know which is really funny because she really is I really the am. sports fan <laughs> amongst the two of us I am but those aren't the details I'm just trying to give an overview and my details got fuzzy but anyways so his coach um, months ago when he first started the program, he called me and he goes, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling sometimes to Declan's struggling to focus. And I said, well, <laughs> coach, he's autistic. And he was like, no, wait, what? I said, yes, coach, he's autistic. And he goes, I don't understand. He, he doesn't resemble, like, I don't, <coughs> I don't, I don't see that behavior from him. It doesn't match the behavior I have. With Cause him. he's masking. Right. And so that's what I explained to him um, six months ago when this whole thing started. And so then I, I showed him, I said, he needs you to talk slower. I need you to pull the mask down so he can read your lips like he reads the lips. He, he's going to take a minute to process, you know, and I kind of coached the coach through and he was really receptive to it all. And they've had a great six months. <coughs> Rubbing off on me now. And um, I do. I don't know. I'm just coughing now. <coughs> but I got a call this week and he said, oh, I went to school and I was looking forward to seeing Declan and he wasn't there. And they said, oh, he no longer goes here. And he goes, I searched my email and I realized you've emailed me and told me all this. I'm so sorry. I didn't see it. I said, that's fine. But we've moved him over into, you know, a, an autism center and he's doing better. And he was like, I really don't understand. He goes, are there levels to autism like what's his level I said yeah there are levels he's level three and he goes and so does it go up to like five and I said no level three is the is the highest one two or three three is the highest and he goes I don't 
I just don't. Can you help me understand that? Because I just don't see that when I see Declan. (laughs) And it just reminded me of our conversation last night. Because at three, he's already learned to hide in plain sight. Does he know he's autistic? No. Is he getting support for it? Yes. And he's still hiding in plain sight. And so the conversation I had with the coach was basically like... The challenge with with Declan in an environment where he doesn't feel nurtured, although he feels safe and he knows he's welcome and, you know, he feels good, but he also knows they can't see his needs when he has them, is that he will shut down and he won't express them to you. And you uh, and, and his this coach has been a little critical in the past um, about behavior. Do you remember when I told you that? Yes. Like he would mirror down. Yes. Well, until we. Can you explain what mirroring down is? Yes. So um, it may not be an actual term. It may just be a Rochelle term. Oh, but it probably is. But I mean, I could explain it. Go ahead. It's when Declan would see children that were younger than him and he would be more self-reflexive in their mirror image than he would be of children that were older. And then it would seem like he was being regressive. And in general, I think it would be easier to mirror those other children because he probably felt more comfortable. Right. Because that's more representative of what he's done in the past. Right. And his comfort zone. That's yeah. Perfectly. That's, that's what I just said. Um, and then it wasn't until. So we had that piece of information like two months ago, you know, that we knew he was mirroring down, but we didn't know why. It wasn't until we talked to his teacher and realized that his friend, who is in the younger class, and they were together until March, was the only child in the classes who would stay behind with Declan and sit at the table longer while he finished his task because it took him longer to, you know, put all the squares on the paper and finish the coloring, whatever it was. And then when they go outside and play and the other kids were louder or moving around more or he didn't feel safe to, you know, get all the physical energy out, this other friend would walk around the perimeter of the um, playground with him. And, And so he didn't feel left alone. He didn't feel abandoned by this friend, but he felt largely abandoned by the rest of his class, which... Can I make a comment about this? Yeah. Because, you know, we we did swim class, and I talked about this the other day, but the fact of the matter is I think he really likes swim class. He doesn't love when it's not the right class. You mean the teacher? Teacher, the right amount of people, the right people. Right. He's very right, particular about that. The right Whatever it is, like you and I aren't both there. Maybe I'm there and he's okay with it. But like he needs things to be a very particular way. Right. He's very Forrest Gump in that way. That's, um, yeah, that's a very autistic trait um, is the need for routine and sameness. Yeah. Yeah. It's a de- it's one of the defining traits actually. So I'm glad you brought that up. And, and the thing about swim class is that as we're learning – even though we thought we could kind of steer some of those variables 
and be like, okay, we've picked this teacher and we know that she has this class at this date and time. We'll always come to this date and time class. And then she hasn't been there the last two or three weeks. And we're like, wait, 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 we have to start from scratch. It feels like, and then right. he's thrown in with all this unpredictability. And, and then, then he goes back to day one. He reg- yeah, absolutely regresses. Well, now that we're able to connect the dots that it really is the person that makes the difference to him, whether or not he feels safe or not. I mean, he's basically looking for a relationship with someone else because he must not feel... Aren't we all? Well, yeah, but some people do (laughs) that more like looking for another person more so than doing it themselves. And and you find people are kind of one way or the other. But um, as I was explaining to the coach, I said, the biggest challenge is that Declan, if he is feeling rushed, if he's feeling abandoned, if he's feeling sad that he's overwhelmed, he can't tell anybody that. He doesn't have the ability to just speak up for himself and go, I need an extra minute. Can you be patient? Or, you know, hey, you're going too fast. Can you repeat that? Or I, you know, I can't understand you behind your mask. Like he can't. We've talked about self-advocation for a long time. Mm-hmm. And when we put it in the framework of a three-year-old, we're like, well, of course he doesn't have that skill. And he, Declan actually offers us the very, the very perfect thing to look at because, I, because we don't expect him to have those skills as a three-year-old. However, looking around, those same skills I just outlined are not necessarily skills that you get a chance to work on as an adult, even once you get your diagnosis. It's not like they say, here's your diagnosis and here's a way to start working on all the skills you missed. So. Yeah, we don't get occupational therapy. You don't. As as adults. You don't get speech therapy. No. You don't get a, you know, you can pay for mental health. um, Most people. Therapy. like, Like we talked about this. In the previous episode, you know, like you can look for someone, but how much like of the time? How many? Most people really don't have the expertise in autism, especially. That's I think my that they point. put that on their their list of 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 ideas and topics that right. like, oh, I'm an expert in this. But, but that's why the, the, the fact of the matter is they they don't really have that expertise, right? That you know, it, and then when they and then when they do. It's it's more regulate. It's more directly related to children, mm. and then the, they try to relate that to you, and you're like, well, it's, it's not, not the exactly same. the same thing. Yeah, you know. So that's it's something that I deal with on a daily basis, on a weekly. And so that's why I brought basis, up bi monthly basis. I brought up path to you because I was interested in if maybe the two of us could sit down and vet that program and see whether they have anything viable. Um, <coughs> Because it would be interesting to be able to to report back and say, hey, PATH is legit. I mean, we don't know that right now. It's just something that has come up in my my field of research. Like, hey, they, they claim to be pre-vetted and trained in neurodiversities and so more of a specialized group to go to. Um, I will tell you that although I am not a licensed counselor, I am a bodywork therapist. There you go. Why don't you say that from now on? I don't need to. There's a lot of different types of therapists. I can say that I'm a therapist and I don't have to be prejudiced <sighs> against the fact that I have to pre-qualify that I'm a body worker. Besides, guess what? The trauma isn't held in the mind. So you It's can, held from behind. No, you can Get talk, your fingers out of my butt. You, 
talk therapy has, I'm not a Muppet. has many, 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 many benefits. And they're usually around awareness and mental attitude and mental strategies and emotional processing. But the trauma, any trauma is stored in the body. You have to activate the body to release it. So you're either doing it on your own with exercise or you're coming to someone like me. So I have... I have skills in my area. It is my area. I have the right to call myself a therapist. Someone am, wants a Fit B. I am not. No, thank you. But I, but I am not a counselor. I will say that the advice that I have been given from the licensed counselors I have s- sought treatment from in my life, and I would not be here without them, they have taught me that if someone you are looking for, and Psychology Today is a great place to look because they all kind of click everything they quote-unquote specialize in. If they click, if their list of specialized areas is like super long and it looks like they've clicked everything, don't go to them. If they have only clicked like nine or ten things and it includes the aspects you're looking for, that's more trusted. Because if they really specialize in it, they're not going to list 30 specializations. They're not going to list all these different things and autism and ADHD. You're going to find that ADHD and autism and anxiety and depression, substance abuse, grief, conflict resolution, family resolution, those are the things that are going to be, among others, obviously, but those are the things that are going to be grouped together. That's someone who really is spending all of their time working in in our population. But what if your four specializations are the four things that they really are specialized in and it's other things that they're clicking on as they're clicking on things? But if that's true, they won't need to click on like 40 other things. They really will just click on what they specialize in. The list gets shorter the more accurate their specializations are, is the point. Is that true 100% of the time? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying as a general rule of thumb, that is what... You just burst my bubble. That's how I found your therapist. Which one? The one you're currently working with. Okay. Is it... And you go back to her profile, she doesn't list all 40 things. She specializes in the key I thought I found her. No. No. You sure? I'm positive. Do you even know who I'm seeing? I, you're still seeing. Who? Yeah. Yeah. No, I ha- I found her. I have all the emails. Oh, okay. I even know the date I found her. So, anyways, but that those were some of the qualifications I looked for because I was hoping that she would help you to overcome. But how even much she more specializes in the ADHD aspect of things. I know because they're they're still not a lot. Look, the thing about autism, you guys, is that everyone is learning about it right along with us. It's not like there's some book that everyone forgot to read. It's that they're literally writing the books. We are helping them write the books. And you know what I find? That's right. And that's exactly right, actually. We need to help everyone write the books. That is the point. So what I found really, what I took to heart thinking about last night's episode And thinking more about the broader themes of this is that one of the reasons you inadvertently continue to hide in plain sight, including you, is because me. Yes, is because you you were you were you were raised with the mask. You were raised with the mirror. No one knew any better, including you that no one is you know that that is what that is. But the more you keep it up. The more you continue to interact with the mask and the mirror on in social interactions or in your workplace or even in your family. And I, I know we've talked about this because what do you do with your neurotypical friends that want you or family that reject you for being who you are? You know, I'd hate to say it this way, but it's almost like 
the more you stop being yourself because of those interactions, and believe me, I have been ridiculed. I'm not autistic, and I have still gone through the ridicule because I'm advocating for Blake and Declan. I, I get the judgments. I get the looks, and I have some taste of it, but... What we're all, what you're also doing is preventing though anyone else from seeing what you're actually experiencing. And so at that point, if no one sees what you're actually experiencing, then you don't have, we don't have a prayer of it changing. Huh? You don't. Give me one line to respond to. Remember, we talked about this earlier today on the on the ride home from. I know, the but you place. were busy taking care of yourself and not listening, and so that's fine. But the more you fail to represent who you are and represent your needs at work, which I have seen you do dozens of times, you won't tell him when you have needs that need to be met that are related to autism. Like you will not stand up for your needs then you're giving him permission to Who's him? your boss. You're oh. giving him permission to completely ignore what your needs are. And it's not even his fault because you're not advocating for yourself. You're not telling him what you need. I don't even know what to tell him. I believe that to be true, but are you, but when you do have the opportunity and I'll ask you, what did you tell him this? Did you tell him like you have this, that, that you need this accommodation or that you need to set this up differently? So it fits your way of thinking and you go, no, I'm not going to tell him. You didn't, you know, it contributes to the problem. Uh, okay. I, in the past, my other job, I did tell them that I was autistic. You did. Yes, you did. And they didn't know how to respond. They did not. And that's okay that they did not know. But once you told them in the moment, it's, of course, who has the dialogue for this So what yet? do I, what do I just walk in there and be like, look, boss. I know you're not going to understand this, but I am hung like a horse. <laughs> thought for a second you were gonna no you i that's actually a good way to start you and because of that i have a real time hard time walking around here okay that you know you're off point but you could no, say I'm, I'm, you serious. could say hey you may not understand this but i am autistic and that means that my needs are not as predictable because i process life you gotta make lower floors it's not about well, it can be whatever it needs to be, but you know how the communication style between your employees and your empl- and between you and your employees. I'm going to get fired. Well, first of all, there's a Disabilities Act that says that that's not allowed. But that's right, woo, that's right. Come on, American Disability Disabilities Act. But my point remains: it doesn't it feel like a disability until until it feels like one. <laughs> until you stop trying to fit into a neurotypical box that you're not. I'm just saying that no one is going to... Here's the problem. Let me see if I can back this up a little bit. If you go back 150, 200 years, 100 years even, we did not have a culture. We have not for a long time had a culture that was designed at 
meeting the needs of our children. In fact, we have a culture that says children should be seen and not heard, which means we automatically ignore their needs and expect them to be copycats of whatever we tell them to do. We create a 100% compliant based uh, parental situation where we give them demands and they just obey. And that's what we think is parenting. Now, those of us with autistic children know that that is not the way life works anymore. And it has to be more of a negotiation and you have to have choices. The only way to have positive behavior is to be given choices and to be seen for who you really are. You weren't as a child. You were fit into some box. You were punished if you forgot to take out the trash. You have, they, those social norms have created trauma loops in you that become reactions when your needs are not being met. So we do not have a society that was ever set up to notice the difference between neurotypical and neurodevelopmental <clears throat> uh, trends 30, 40, 50 years ago because we plain weren't, we weren't looking. And there was so much anxiety and depression from our parents and our grandparents coming through the depression, coming through the industrial revolution, you know, all of a sudden having all this access to convenient food and new appliances and track homes and all these things were developing. We didn't, we didn't look at each other and notice that we were starting to develop differently or have different um, emotional experiences. So it, we, we weren't even set up to notice. But unfortunately, now that you're adults, when you do try and express yourself and say, hey, this is what makes me different, and you, you're met with some very painful denial and rejection, and I will admit, it hurts so much worse when it comes from our family, when, when they tell us, oh, well, that's, you're just making it up, or, or, or you're, you're, he just, it's just his choice, and he's just not choosing correctly. These are some of the crap I heard. Um, and then so and some of my clients have talked about how painful the family denial is, you know, at the same time, when we allow that to, uh, to keep us silent, we abandon ourselves. And so inadvertently keeping the mask on and keeping the mirror up means that we abandon ourselves because if we're not looking out for ourselves and, and doing our best to express what our needs are, we're agreeing to be compliant in someone else's set of rules in a society that doesn't look out for people instead of really embracing who we are and learning to negotiate so that we can create a cooperative situation where both people's needs are being met. And until we can make that transition, I'm afraid that we're going to continue. You're going to continue to hide in plain sight. And at that point, it's... It's even more of a struggle because it means that you're not going to get out of it any faster. <laughs> Can you tell that you lost me at some point? I, I did. And I know that I lost you. But if I didn't finish the point, I'm afraid I would never get to it. So All right. my question is, how do we turn this boat around? We've now identified multiple ways. Watch Speed 2. <laughs> Speed 2 Cruise Control, starring Sandra Bullock. 
One of my favorite scenes is in that movie when she's like, oh, 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 drop a wrench. drop Because I've done Wait, that. Wait, what? You've seen that movie? I love that you movie. You watched Speed 2? Yeah. You're the one person that saw that in the theater? I don't remember if I saw it in the t- theater or on TV, but I liked the movie. Oh, boy. That's horrible. But you know what? You bring up a good point. Why is it okay for characters in our in our media, in TV and film, to be quirky and have these individual personalities and we crave that? And we think and we applaud that character for being like so themselves. And then in daily life, we don't do the same for ourselves. Because we're weird. (laughs) (laughs) I think it becomes I think it's more back to what you said at the beginning. And I'm accepting of the weird. I think it's more about you because you spent so much time wondering why you were different than everyone else. You haven't spent enough time learning how to value yourself for being yourself. You sound so sad. Well, I am sad. Okay. That's why I come on this show every single week is because I am. Come on this show. Well, yeah, I helped develop it. But it's part of the reason why I'm here is because I am sad about this. Help develop it. Calm down. Simmer down. Stick to the Hey, you couldn't even set up these microphones if it weren't for me. Well, that is absolutely true, but. You couldn't plug in three microphones. I, You know, if I had to, I'd figure it and out. And there's only two. I'd figure it out, but. All right. It'd be nice if every once in a while you plugged in all the microphones. That's all I'm saying. Oh, my gosh. And found a little bit of Pop Minute, News Minute, which we don't have this week. Well, we did. We just have it in part one. It's just in part. It's in, it's in part one. Right. We don't have any more. No more news minute, no more pop minute. As you know, I dream of an environment, of a society, of a workplace situation, of a family structure where every single person, especially those with neurodiversities, can feel comfortable being themselves and redefining what we set as social norms so that there is no norm other than to be yourself. In fact, the idea of perfectionism is something we've talked a lot about, except what we don't talk about is that the, per- the construct of what is quote-unquote perfect, as we're uncovering with more and more and more society research, is really the construct of what was imagined for society sometimes up to 200 years ago or more. And so that needs to be redefined and reset. And I think the only thing that you can actually be perfect in is being yourself in the moment. And and I would love to rewrite... If I'm nothing, it's being perfect in the moment. You're very good in the moment, actually. We were So t- why are you giving me a hard time sometimes in the moment? You're not always great in the moment. Oh, now your the truth humor, comes out. We were talking last night about how great your humor can be in the moment. The truth comes out. But in the moment of, of representing your true feelings or reading the room and, and knowing that um, you're in a mm-hmm. compromising situation with Declan, mm-hmm. like you're fighting over control, that's not, you know, at that point, neither one of you are being yourselves. Okay. Or we're just being a perfect example of ourselves and you're not letting us be in the heat of the moment. Where you're both fighting over control, even though he's... You you know what? Um, every situation we have with ourselves and anyone else is a learning opportunity one way or another, even when it feels like hell. 
We're still learning from it. Every situation is either clarity that we've received what we're, we're going in the direction we want or contrast. We're seeing the direction we don't want. So okay. every moment is has its beauty, even if it's painful because it's clarity and contrast. Contrast doesn't feel as good because it's like, oh, that's what I don't want. But, you know, it doesn't erase. I just, again, to reiterate, nothing to be ashamed of it is another one of those aspects that has to come from within. It, it has to come from you. You have to decide that there's nothing to be ashamed of. And that will give you more confidence to be yourself and know that whether or not someone else accepts you, although it feels great when they do, they cannot diminish your value about who you are unless you let them. That was really hard for me to learn. I, I was letting people undervalue me all the time. And I thought they had the power to do that. And I've learned I was very wrong. And the only person that can undervalue me is me. And if I undervalue me, then of course they can undervalue me too because I've let them do it. What do you value most about yourself? The end of this episode. Oh. Come on, give me one thing. What do I value most about myself? Mm-hmm. We've talked about this before. I know. I used. To, what do you think it is? I don't know. Wow, that's fun. It changes. It, and used, it should. No, no. It's always been the same thing. Okay. Go ahead. Give it a guess. Your sense of humor. That's what it used to be. Okay. What is it now? Not that, because I don't feel very funny anymore. Okay. Nothing. <laughs> that was the one thing I liked about myself the most, and now I don't feel funny anymore. Okay. So there's that. Okay. Well, how many? I feel like I'm a good dad. You are. Thanks. Do you value yourself as a dad? I do when I have to. What does that mean? Well, I mean, I I do when in the moments with Declan because I want to make sure that he doesn't feel like I'm just going through the motions. Okay. And by mo- uh, by motions, do you mean like showing up at every doctor's appointment because you you don't miss those, and you're there at all the IEP meetings, and you're there at you know evaluations, and you're there at you're there at every opportunity you can be at, or and a lot of dads aren't. Yeah, well, that's too bad for those guys. Right, but so are those the motions you're talking about going through, or are you talking about like the day to day? I said that I don't want him to think I'm going through the motions. I can't imagine. I mean, he's three. I don't think he would be. No, he's smart though. He'll he'll trust me. But remember, I was a two-year-old boy at one point too, and a three-year-old boy. And I remember my dad wasn't a, didn't go to jack shit. Right, and my dad didn't either. At that age, from zero to seven, are we are in a specific area of our brain development, and for the most part, and this is oversimplifying it, we are focused on are we loved or not. Are we wanted or not? And are we safe or not? We crave connection. We crave security and we crave authenticity. So as long as your moments are connected and authentic with him and he feels safe, his emotional needs are being met at a baseline level. We've done this before. I feel like we've talked about this before. We have. And you usually tell me to save it for the podcast. So here we are. 
All right. Shit. So I feel like you're doing really well. That means the episode's almost over. (laughs) Praise Jesus. Yes. I just will continue to search for ways to hopefully provide some sort of insight or roadmap or even contrast or clarity into how to take this intangible feeling of always hiding in plain sight and turn it into something tangible where you have some strategies to feel good about being yourself in your daily life. I'm trying. I ho- that's all I hope. Okay. Like I said, I got no pot minute and no news minute because ain't no other news and pop happened in the last minute. <laughs> well said. It'll have to be saved for next week. Fair point. Yeah. Thank you Is for it? coming back and doing a part two with me. Sure. I appreciate the more in-depth explanation and the deep dive into these thoughts i think they're they're very very big i feel like these are very big topics um and i barely spoke this episode i don't think that's true at all i think it is i know that it's not true because you've only had time to drink half your water that's more than half i'm more of a quarter glass full guy (laughs) anyway anyway anything else rochelle good nothing (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's going to be how we wrap it up this week. Um, again, so shoot. And now I have to figure out, did I play music in the last episode? You did. You, you, you wrote it yesterday. It was I really wrote it, but that doesn't mean that I started it until this episode starting right now. No, maybe not. Um, I'm Blake and I'm Rochelle and we will be back. 